Hitting revenue targets is hard and requires constant hustle. Last quarter's success is already forgotten. Learn the mindset and tactics of today's most successful revenue producers in B2B marketing and sales. We call this the revenue hustle. I'm your host, Tom Hessen, navigating you on this journey. Today's show is sponsored by Nine Lenses, an interactive assessment platform that enables you to add instant value to your buyers and allows your sales team to tailor business conversations focused on the pain points each and every time. Check them out at NineLenses.com. Hi, this is your host of The Revenue Hustle. My name's Tom Hessen, and I have the distinct pleasure of welcoming our next guest. It is Barbara Pavar. Barbara, welcome to The Revenue Hustle. Thanks so much for having me, Tom. Excited to be here. Yes, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited about this conversation. So, Barbara, you are the VP of Sales and go-to-market lead for the U.S. uh, Northeast at Avanade. Why don't you give us a little introduction to you and what you're up to? Avanade is a Accenture-owned company. We support the Microsoft ecosystem and sell across the Microsoft ecosystem. Prior to joining Avanade, I was at a Series D startup where I led North America sales. Before that, I spent five years at Amazon, leading various sales teams. I started my career in sales at Bloomberg and had five and a half wonderful years there uh, growing up in sales and where I first became a sales leader. Before that, I spent nine years working in politics. I'm based in New York. I'm from Florida. And One of my passions is developing teams as well as selling and how selling can not only grow someone's career, but help transform businesses with the solutions that we provide. So happy to have this discussion today. Wonderful. Yeah, I'm very excited about the topic. So you know how we do this. We have revenue rules on the revenue hustle. So why don't you go ahead and give us your first revenue rule? My first revenue rule is to successfully transition from sales rep to a manager, you need to have a business mindset. Tell us more about that. I consistently hear from sales leaders and their leaders because they are leading their clients, they're leading their solutioning teams and solution architects and engineers on a pursuit. So they are leaders in their own right. And they have a passion for replicating what they're doing with other sellers, whether it be sellers who are new to sales or sellers who are earlier in their career, but they have this curiosity about leadership. And one thing that I had to learn as I transitioned from being a seller to a sales manager is having a business mindset. And what that means is that I'm not only solving for my business, I'm not only solving for my client, I have to now consider the business as a whole and consider also not only what's good for my team, but what is good for the business. And so what that can look like in reality is that as a sales leader, we may have a very specific metric on sales and revenue, but we are accountable to 
our leaders, if we're in a smaller organization, we're accountable to the board and we have to work across our executive team. And we're accountable to the CFO um, in many cases. And so to have a business mindset, it means you have to make decisions that are based on what is best for the business. So if there are sales that you would typically close as a sales rep, but you know that that's probably not the right client for the business, or it's work that you're not able to fulfill, or it's a use case that is not aligned right. with your ideal customer profile. As a leader, you would have to have that business mindset to know when to maybe not pursue that and find other revenue to make up for it. Um, another example could be if you don't have a metric for efficiency, but maybe your boss, who is a general manager or a CEO, has an efficiency metric. As a business leader, even though you're managing sales and only thinking about sales and revenue, if your manager, for example, has that efficiency metric, you have to think about how what you're doing in your business is helping support uh, right. the metric that your boss has. Yeah, and I and I can imagine, you know, as an individual contributor, you're very zeroed in on your accounts, right? On your pursuits, your deals. And as you move into management, your purview, as you're saying, is I'm just thinking about you now have a lot more visibility and responsibility that you may not have ever been trained on as a individual contributor, right? Other than because you're laser focused on your deals. Like how did that play out in your career? Like how did you, you know, or, or how are you seeing that in others that you're promoting, right? From individual contributor on your own teams. Um, like how are you seeing this shake out? Yeah. So earlier in my career, it was a lot of learning just from the mistakes that I've made. And when I was a new leader, I was really just thinking about, hey, what's best for my team? How are we going to hit our numbers? And I was thinking as I was as an individual contributor, it's just that I had, you know, five right. additional right. sellers to take care of. So I didn't really change my mindset. And then as I continued in leadership, I would be in meetings with leaders outside of sales and they would be sharing their priorities and what they need from sales and where they're struggling. And I would be listening to my leader for what his specific priorities are, or her specific priorities and following what she needs to be successful. And I would also get coaching on these are specific metrics that we need as a business. You know, how is it that sales is going to contribute to that? So I think it's being exposed to a world outside of your immediate responsibilities in sales and figuring out how you can contribute. So that's how that skill has developed and something that I remind new leaders because it's something that 
I learned from making those mistakes. And so whenever I have an opportunity to coach a new leader, uh, I always remind them of that because it's something that I had to learn on my own. Now, do you, I imagine I can catch people off guard without coaching. Like, I mean, obviously you're coaching them now, but like not everyone has an understanding of business, right? To all the different interconnected pieces and how, right, a bad deal in sales has all sorts of downstream ripple effects as you're, you know, in the example that you gave. Um, so like, do you coach specific aspects of business or just, you know, you just have to learn and be aware that other people have uh, maybe competing priorities or priorities that impact your own. Like, so how do you think about coaching? Yeah. So the best sellers actually really think about what's best for the business. Sellers have amazing business acumen because right. they're consistently partnering with clients to align to their key priorities, creating value, understanding the complexities of all of the stakeholders and their contributions to the, the politics of an organization to get a deal done. So they have an amazing intuition and ability to be able to understand you know, what is good for a business. And so it is something that they naturally are able to understand. I think where it was a challenge for me was that I had to pivot from thinking just about myself and my numbers and my team's numbers to thinking about, okay, what does this actually mean for the business right. and how am I going to make my boss successful? A very, very simple example could be if you're running a sales team and you're going to hit your quota for the year, but or not even the year, let's just say the quarter and a colleague who runs another sales team is going to come short of their quota. Is there any opportunity that you have without your boss even asking you to outperform if there is opportunity to make up for your colleague that's not able to hit their number that quarter and you know collaborate with your boss and say, "Hey, this is something I'm working on for the business. You know, I'm able to bring in, you know, these deals Let's strategize and maybe there's other deals that can be brought in, but you know, I want to make sure that the business as a whole hits their number. Right, right. And right. so it it takes that shift in mindset to to think about that. And I think something I always remind myself, and I had to remind myself about it today. It's like it's not about what's best for me. It's what's best for the entire business. And the work is never done until you know, the, the business is successful. And I think just reminding yourself of that. Um, and again, I consistently have to do it, takes us out of the individual contributor mindset, mindset. and into the 
the business leader mindset. Yeah. You know, we've never talked about this transition from sales individual contributor to manager on the podcast. So I'm really just fascinated about this topic. And I'm sure there's, you know, a lot of great sales individual contributors that do make great managers, but there's equally good sales individual contributors that are not ready for leadership or not cut out for that. Um, like, how do you think about that? Right. And obviously this mindset is is critical to be a successful manager. How do you kind of determine who's good fit? And, and maybe there are not so good sales reps that make great managers. Right. So I'm just kind of curious, kind of, as you think about that transition and who's a good candidate uh, and maybe who's not a good candidate for a number of reasons. Really? And that's a great question. And it's, so important to remember that being a leader, a sales leader, a sales manager is not better than being a mm. sales individual contributor. Um, it's a different career path. Why I say that is every business, if a business wants to be successful, they need very talented, consultative producers, people who are consistently year over year going to perform and be able to take very complex problems, be able to sit with a C-level executive and whiteboard an idea and take that into a $30 million opportunity to close. That is a very skilled person with decades of experience and we need those people. And what is wonderful about that is if that's your passion and your talent, you can have an amazing career and it's very fruitful and lucrative. And those people may not be interested in leadership because they have a passion for being that trusted advisor to the C-level executive, and they want to spend their time with clients solving complex problems. For leaders, if you decide that you really have a passion for mentoring and you have a passion for sales coaching and identifying what type of seller a person is, how they're motivated, um, how to take some really great work that they're doing and enhance their output based on coaching, then maybe sales leadership is more interesting to you. If you have a passion for creating a sales strategy across an industry or a region and building that for a company, then those are the career paths that may align better to a sales leader. So I always tell people it's not something that they feel that if they're a high-performing sales rep that they should eventually be a manager. Absolutely not. I think there's such an importance and a need to continue in selling and building that skill set if that's something that you're passionate about. And the other thing that I would say that I, I think people have to remember 
when they move into sales management that's not always clear is that as a sales leader, a manager, you may not be getting all of the benefits of being an individual contributor in sales. What that means is that your schedule is not going to always be your own. Right. There are times where people on your team are going to tell you, hey, I need you to be in Boston for this client QBR, or um, they are closing a huge deal and they're earning a huge commission on it. And the sales manager is always going to get a smaller percentage of it. And rightfully so, because you always want to pay your sales reps the best because they are, uh, they're the ones putting all the output, taking the risk. And, and that's a transition for some people to think about. So it's definitely a different career path and something that you can test out just by where you find your passion. If it's in that strategy with clients or if it's really in, you know, coaching and building strategies, you'll get a sense for where you're leaning. Well, I know, I mean, sales is stressful. Right. I mean, um, it's, it's absolutely stressful just because, you know, we're, it's a career that, you know, that are, that are measured like few are right in terms of performance. And, you know, I'm curious your perspective on kind of the pressure or stress as a manager versus an individual rep, because uh, you have it, you have expectations on you, you know, in, in both jobs, um, now, maybe you have more control, per se, over your own number of calls and outreaches as an individual contributor, and you have less direct control. Um, but, you know, I, I'm curious, just kind of your your thoughts on the stresses of both jobs. And, and maybe as a manager, where do you go, right, to, you know, to deal with that versus where if you're an individual contributor, you go to your manager. But where does the manager go, right? So yeah. I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on the pressure of, of each role and, and um you know, kind of how you deal with that? That's such a great question because it is a very different stressor. And when I was an individual contributor, I had no idea of the stresses that my manager had. I didn't have, and it's great that I didn't have visibility into right. that. And I had the opportunity to focus on delivering And so what I found as being an individual contributor, the stress is in delivering results. And I'm someone that always wanted to outperform, always wanted to be at the top of the leaderboard and best was what I wanted to achieve. And so a lot of the pressure was put on myself. Right, right. Um, Then when I became a manager, the stressors looked different because you're privy to so many other aspects of the business that are important that maybe affect your business. And that puts a lot of stress on the manager. And of course, you can't express that to your team. Right, right. And so where I've found solace is 
in my colleagues who are also leading large sales organization for different regions. That's been really helpful. Um, I'm a member of Chief, and that's an organization of executive women. And I've made many great friends mm. through that organization. And that's been helpful to help bounce ideas off each other or hang out, you know, right, after right. a tough day. And then also I've benefited from having a great executive coach that I've worked with over the years. Mm -hmm. um, and this coach, Sharon, um, Sharon Weinreb, she's been a great coach to me over the years and has helped me compartmentalize my stressors and how to take aspects of my role that are stressful and turn them into something positive. So how am I going to change my mindset away right. from this, this instance being stressful and make it into something fun that I can put a plan together for how I'm going to achieve it, which will help mitigate the risk and the stress. Yeah. So I use all of those avenues, but I think also sales managers, if you're successful in your role, or if you really have that passion for delivering and sales leadership, you're probably going to have that personality where you're putting pressure on yourself. And especially with women leaders, we, I know I do, a lot of times suffer from imposter syndrome. So a lot of the pressure is, is what we put on ourselves. And there are times when, for example, uh, I'm committing a forecast and I'm really happy about the forecast that I'm committing. And then I'm immediately like, oh my gosh, now is right, the time sure. that I have yeah. to deliver on that. Right, and I consume right. a lot of my, my brain power on that. So that's why it's always helpful um, to put that plan in place with, okay, this is what I can control and this is how I'm going to support my team in delivering. Um, and that's where my coach has been really helpful in, in helping me deliver that. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I hadn't thought that, you know, ask you that until kind of on the fly, but that, and that's a whole different level of, um, you know, you do have broader responsibilities as a manager and, and usually um, that brings on more, you know, stress just as a result of having a, a, a wider, um, you know, a bigger number to hit, more people to manage, right? There's more things on fire, right? It's not just one thing. It's just not that one or two deals as an individual contributor. It's, you know, there's a, a lot of different things. So, you know, stress levels, um, you know, I've certainly learned to manage them over time. Um, you kind of have to live it sometimes to, um, like I, when I took the CEO job, I, I I've been a number two a couple of times, but being the CEO and the number two are, are, are wildly different, at least according to my body and how it managed stress. And so, um, but I never knew that until, you know, you're in the seat, so to speak. Um, and, and so, yeah, I was just kind of curious as you're changing that seat from individual contributor to manager. I mean, it just introduces a whole lot more, you know, perspectives, the mindset you have to change and then also then just more stressors that kind of come into your purview as well. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I went to an event last night, um, women leaders in data and AI, and someone said, the more senior you move in an organization, the lonelier it is. 
And that's something to remember for sales people that become leaders is that in sales, there's so much camaraderie. And a lot of times I I miss that camaraderie because my colleagues now are all around the country and around the world. And so you don't always have that. And I'm the only sales leader in my role because I'm leading a region. Region. And so you don't have that same camaraderie and that benefit of people inviting you to go out for drinks and being able to commiserate is not as easy as senior as you get. That's why those outlets to me are really yeah, important. No, that's a great dot to connect there. You're absolutely right. Um, no, that was a great discussion. Thank you for sharing all of that. So, um, so let's transition to your second revenue rule. Second revenue rule is to be successful in closing a deal, you have to align to the business priority. Certainly helps. Tell us more about that. It's very easy to, especially if you're selling a technology, to align to what the customer is requesting or selling the benefits of the technology and the problems that your technology are going to solve. And there's so much overload now of information and ways to solve any number of problems in a business and ways to become more efficient. And it just becomes a lot of noise. And no matter what someone's role is, if they are a decision maker, they have some specific business priorities that they're aligning to. Is it to increase revenue? Is it to improve margins? Or efficiency, whatever it is. Is there an efficiency metric that they're trying to hit? Um, Those are just some examples, but aligning to what those priorities are for the business, who is accountable for delivering on those priorities, when is the deadline, what are the milestones, that enables the client and the seller to work together on a plan because it's not, we're just going to use this as an example. It's not buying a CRM. Right. Right. To me, that sounds very expensive and that sounds super time consuming. But if I am trying to transform my sales organization and increase revenue and get transparency into my business. And I am looking to, you know, grow my, my sales team and put some AI around how I can go after different accounts that maybe I haven't gone after in the past. Right. Right. And and you say to me, oh, that that's great. You know, what CRM are you using? And I say, I don't have a CRM. Then that is a completely different conversation. So we're not selling a technology. I may say, right. oh, yeah, I need a CRM. But it's not because I want to spend money on a CRM and I need to do it by the end of next year. It's because I have no visibility into my business and I need to increase 
of the revenue for what my sales team is producing. So that is how we shape the conversation in, in aligning to the business priorities. So the seller is consisting, consistently aligning to what the client right. has to deliver to their stakeholders. Yeah, and and I learned that over the years is that you can never convince, generally convince someone to do something net new. Like you've got your three priorities. Here's a fourth that you never knew about, right? And they're going to be like, I don't, I don't care, right? Like it, exactly. It, and 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 you're right. It, it's you can never convince someone to do something that they don't already want to do. Now you can teach them on how to do or meet their objective. Um, in a in a unique way, but that you've already, like you said, you had to kind of, you know, they had to say, I, I want these business problems, or these, you have to align to theirs. But you'll never convince them to, to come up with something new. And um, no one ever wants to buy technology, right? And 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 there's a lot of the technology being sold. And I joke with my brother, who's in tech sales as well. Is like I call him up and say, Would you like to buy some software, right? And um, but that never happens. Nobody wants to buy software, right? Nobody cares about the technology. Um, and rarely does anyone call up in, in your example, hey, I'd like to buy a CRM today, right? Like that just doesn't happen. So like being able to take the, you know, take and understand the customer's priority, which I think is not easy, right? It takes a, a series of, you know, discussions and consultations to understand that. But once you really understand that, it's like wind at your back versus people that are out there selling features and functions and, and, and software. It's like wind in your face. Exactly. And it is challenging to find that because yes, we can listen to earnings calls and, and look at the, the 10K and the website. But if we are selling to a VP or C-level executive, there's probably 20 different stakeholders that are going to be contributing to that decision. And how do the business priorities that are defined right. by the company, how does that translate to the individual stakeholders that are in on that decision? How do those each individual stakeholders contribute to that business success and how can they individually solve that business problem? And that is something that sellers have to align to because now more than ever, there's many more stakeholders with different priorities and we have to align to each of them and get each of them bought in on right. how our solution is going to help solve their individual contribution to the business. Yeah. And how do you, how have you been able to get to understanding those priorities? Because again, it's not something that executives just, you know, drop in a first call. I mean, sometimes if the problem's big enough, but it takes trust just to get into those conversations. Um, like, I'm just kind of curious, like, how you have done it personally or how you coach your team, like just to get into those discussions. So you have the opportunity to whiteboard, you know, cause I mean, once you're there, I mean, that's fantastic, right? Like you're co-creating with your customer. They may not even know how to solve the problem, but you guys are working together. So I'm just curious, like, how do you get to that conversation? So a lot of times it is, and it's similar to the challenger sale, what we learn about 
how to take what we've learned from the industry and how we've been solving problems and educating the client on something new that they may not have learned before and getting them to understand, oh, I'm missing out and I don't have insight into that data or I'm not able to solve that problem as well as my competitor and wanting to learn more and be educated. Because I find that senior executives, they're not going to share, like sit there in a meeting and, and share what their priorities are. They right. want every interaction to have value to them. And so anytime you're meeting with a senior leader, it's what is a value that I can teach the senior leader? It could be a use case that worked really well on their competitor. And now their competitor is seeing better customer engagement metrics or whatever it is. Right. And wanting that C-level executive to learn more about it. Um, other ways is once you've built that trust in a small way with the client, understanding how they measure their team, how is the team evaluated, how is your client evaluated, how are their stakeholders evaluated, what are the key metrics that his or her or their boss is metriced on, and then understanding what are the milestones and progress towards achievement of those metrics? And that gives a lot of insight into, are they prioritizing right, right, right. the right things? And so if, if someone says, oh, I'm metric on net income, for example, um, but they haven't achieved that metric in the last three years, then that could be an opportunity to dig deeper, or it could be maybe that's not a really important metric for that person or for the business. And maybe there's something else that we need to look at. Yeah. And so finding those details on how they're measuring um, themselves, their business, how they deliver results gives a lot of insight into right. what their priorities are. Yeah. And it's amazing as a seller, when you can tap into like a hair on fire as I like to call it hair on fire kind of moment where for whatever reason, like something just shoots, you know, in terms of priority to the, to the top. Right. And now maybe it's their boss or the boss's boss or the CEO, like something happened and now everything's moving at light speed. Right. And, and you try to capture that. It is, that's not as um, easy as it sounds. But I mean, I think when have you had moments like that where, you know, all of a sudden just, um, you know, you may have been pursuing a deal and it's been kind of going slow, but then all of a sudden something happened in the business and that put you and your solution like in the, in this, in the spotlight. And then now it just gets like the deal gets done um, just because the, the, the winds had changed. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think back and I had a couple of deals that were like that. And I think when that happens, it is because 
you have to align to the right stakeholders and then also have the right champions as well. Right. And being aligned to the decision maker and also the particular deals that I'm talking about, it was also aligning to their competitors and their competitors were already using the tool or using the data and already leveraging it. And so it's an opportunity to share with the client, hey, this is what they have access to. This is how they're using our tool. These are some metrics and results that they've seen as a result of using the tool. And it sparks that intrigue and that competitive drive and that's when I've seen deals turn the tide. I gotcha. Yeah. I had a recent situation where like the financials, like the the company's sales had turned um, and, and they were starting to miss some of their goals. And that just lit a fire um, in a whole new way. And so um, to, to my benefit, but, um, you know, I just hadn't seen that coming. Right. And I've had plenty of deals where I was at the goal line and then something else happened and the deal, you know, you know, a company got acquired. I'm like, Oh gosh. Right. And then everything gets put on pause. So um, that's just all part of sales, but um, well, thanks for sharing those stories. So tell us, Barbara, how did you get from politics into sales and, and just, you know, and, and then you've kind of progressed in sales, but how'd you get in, you know, when did you think that was the right idea? I loved working in politics, but I wanted to do something that was more results driven. Um, when I say results driven, I mean, I loved lobbying and I wanted to take the skills that I learned there and put that into something that was more quantitative versus qualitative selling. Right. And I wanted something that I could do anywhere in the world and something that I wasn't confined to living in DC if I ever chose to not be in DC anymore. And I decided I wanted to be in New York. So I had the opportunity to sell a product that was selling to lobbyists. Mm. And so I was able to leverage my network in my first sales role. So that was a perfect transition into sales. And that was 13 years ago and I not looked back. Um, so it was great to build that foundation in politics, did that for nine years. And it was an opportunity to learn a lot. And what I've learned then, I still apply in my career now. And that was a tech sales job. It sounds like your first job selling some sort of technology, um, yeah. which again, a lot of people are, you know, fighting to get into tech sales just in terms of the, you know, the realm of things you can sell. Um, you're like, so, so you've just progressed. Um, so you've gone, was that a small company? Then you went to series D maybe, or that was the series D. And now you're obviously at Avanon, a much bigger company. So you've kind of sold at different stages, which is interesting. So, um, the first sales role was at Bloomberg. Oh, that's and right. then I also um, became a sales leader there. It's my first sales leader role. And then Amazon, I was a sales leader there as well. 
and then went to a startup. So have experience being at the largest companies, literally, um, to smaller companies. And I'm really happy with what I'm doing at Avanade, growing the sales community and also growing our presence in the market. It's really rewarding to see the team and how passionate they are about how the Microsoft ecosystem can transform businesses. And it's really exciting now with the climate of businesses wanting to leverage generative AI to transform their business and how it's going to make them more efficient and help their employees. And so I'm really looking forward to that um, and also just help them get closer to their customers and create better customer experiences. So um, really passionate about that and looking forward to the future. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on to the Revenue Hustle. Where can we follow you online? Please follow me on LinkedIn. I look forward to connecting with all of you. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Barbara. Thanks for coming on the show and let's do it again soon. Definitely. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to the Revenue Hustle. This episode has been brought to you by Nine Lenses. Close more deals with interactive assessments. Check them out at ninelenses.com. See you next time.